Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. I'd like to take a moment to say their names. Lauren Alexander, Devin Bell, Erica Langhart, Brittany Malone. Lauren died at 20 of a pulmonary embolism after taking a generic version of Yaz. Devin survived multiple blood clots on her lungs. Erica, a 24-year-old on Nuvering who died, had two heart attacks. And Brittany died of a blood clot-related complication from the Nuvering. These were women in their 20s, fit and healthy. They did not have clotting disorders. They didn't smoke, nor did they have the typical risk factors of women for whom there are precautions about taking the pill or using hormonal contraception. But even had they been, chances are they'd not have been informed not to take it. Their doctors might not have even noticed the contraindications. The advent of the birth control pill was hard won for women. In fact, it wasn't even legal for unmarried women to obtain it until the early 70s. Ditto that for a credit card. And it's considered one of the greatest reasons for beneficial economic shifts for women in the U.S. Yet the pill has a checkered past from testing on uninformed women in Boston in the 1950s and 60s to testing on poor women in Puerto Rico, cover-ups about severe and even fatal pill side effects dating back to the 1960s, and even its development in conjunction with the eugenics movement that sought to create white racial purity in this country that, along with forced sterilization, preferentially heavily promoted the use of the birth control pill in the black community as a strategic part of targeted population control measures. Welcome to Natural MD Radio. I'm your tour guide, Dr. Aviva Ram. My guests today are the producers of a new documentary film, The Business of Birth Control, Ricky Lake and Abby Epstein, the dynamic duo behind the groundbreaking documentary, The Business of Being Born. From acting and producing to dancing her way into the hearts of television audiences, Emmy Award-winning television host Ricky Lake is a pop-up pop culture icon who has built her career on her graciously candid sensibility and her authentic, relatable nature. The world first met Ricky in 1988 as Tracy Tumblad in John Waters' film Hairspray. Her additional film and television credits are extensive. At 24, Lake became one of the youngest daily talk show hosts in history with the debut of The Ricky Lake Show. She's co-written two books, released a four-part DVD series, and served as an executive producer of several documentaries. Ricky's legacy, and perhaps her greatest love, is her role as an independent filmmaker. Her award-winning, critically acclaimed documentary, The Business of Being Born, debuted at the Tribeca Film Festival in 2007 and is often hailed as the must-see film among mothers-to-be. She's now working on the film about birth control that we're going to talk about today. In recent years, Ricky has channeled her nurturing spirit and drive for social change into passion projects, serving as a leading voice for crucial issues such as women's rights and informed choice within reproductive health. Ricky's also a strong advocate for mental health awareness and suicide prevention, having lost her beloved husband, Christian Evans, on February 11th, 2017. Abby Epstein made her film directing debut at the 2004 Sundance Film Festival with the documentary V-Day, 
Until the Violence Stops, featuring Jane Fonda, Salma Hayek, and Rosie Perez. The film won the Audience Award at Vancouver's Amnesty International Film Festival and premiered on Lifetime Television, receiving both an Emmy and a Gracie Allen Award. In 2007, she teamed up with Ricky for their widely acclaimed documentary, The Business of Being Born, which was premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival and was released by New Line Cinema, Netflix, and broadcast on Showtime. The film's success led to their follow-up series, More Business of Being Born, featuring Cindy Crawford, Alanis Morizette, Giselle Bunchen, and Christy Turlington, plus a book, Your Best Birth, published by Hatchet. Next, the duo teamed up for Weed the People, which premiered at the 2018 South by Southwest Film Festival and won the Audience Award at the Nashville Film Festival. Weed the People was acquired by Netflix for distribution. Under their company, B.O.B.B. Films, Ms. Epstein and Ms. Lake produced the documentaries Breast Milk and The Mama Sherpers, Sherpas, and are currently in production on The Business of Birth Control, which is due out in 2021. Prior to her film work, Abby directed Broadway theater, helming national tours and international productions of Rent and The Vagina Monologues. Ricky and Abby's award-winning critically acclaimed documentary brought them together in 2007 with over 5 million views and an online community of over 100,000 and more than 10 million press imprints. Together, they co-wrote the book Your Best Birth and released more business of being born, as well as discussions on in-birth birth in-depth discussions on birth process. Under their joint ventures, they produced the films and the film that we're all awaiting to drop in 2021, The Business of Being Born. Abby and Ricky, welcome. It's so exciting to have you here. You got to interview me and pre-COVID, and we did a Zoom during COVID, and now I get to have you on my podcast. So I'm so socially distanced, excited to have you here with me today. It's truly a pleasure. We're such fans of yours. Thank you for having us. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. All right. Let's dive right in because there's a lot of juicy stuff to talk about today. What got you on the trail of doing a a documentary on the pill? Was there an origin story, something that just got this on your radar and you said, we have to put a bunch of our lives and time into this because it takes that to create a film? Well, it sort of fell into Abby's lap. Abby, you should tell the story because it wasn't premeditated. At all. No, I think it was originally um, we were working on a completely different film called Weed the People, um, which is available on Netflix. And so we were like deep into this world of like cannabinoids and pediatric cancer. I mean, we were like totally in another world. And during that time, um, Holly Griggs Spall sent us a galley of her book called Sweetening the Pill, which was kind of, I think, yet unpublished. And she sent the galley and I read it on the plane from like New York to LA. Well, truth be told, Abby, you got to just say that it sat on your desk for a long time. That was the manuscript. Like first she sent the manuscript where it looks like it's like 500 pages. You know what I mean? It's so hard to read. When people want me to write <laughs> no. a forward for their book or a word for the back. Now I'm like, send me a galley. Don't send yeah. the manuscript. The Don't manuscript send like. Stuff online. Just send me a copy that I can take with me somewhere. Yes, exactly. So and planes are the best place. It. Yes. You're so a captive finally, audience. Exactly. So then the galley came and I was like, okay, now I can read this. It's like a slim little. So I read it on the plane and then I basically got off the plane 
and kind of told you were coming me. to me. You were coming to my place, weren't you? You were staying with me, I think. I came to your house and we were meeting in your kitchen that night with a potential investor in Weed the People, a woman who was gonna put some money into Weed the People. And all of a sudden she, you know, I'd been telling Ricky about this book and some of the stuff it had like kicked up for me. And then all of a sudden this investor was like, what's this other thing you guys keep talking about? Because you seem really excited about like this other thing. What's that? So then I told her about it and she ended up giving us money right there on the spot to shoot like our sizzle reel, our, you know, very initial like sizzle reel. And so then, you know, we met with Holly and um, it was just all, I think, yeah, I think it's like one of those moments where, you know, even now, like we've just been screening kind of short clips of the film for like select audiences and even women who will watch like that 30 minute piece, they get extremely outraged at what they experienced on hormonal birth control. And they're mad. They feel like they were lied to. They feel like they were misled. Um, they like just the stories that just come up in these chats, you know, and I'm sure like Aviva, you've heard all of them. So it's like, you hear these stories. And I think that's kind of what happened. Like when Ricky and I also started digging in, it was just like, oh my God, that's what that was. That was my depression in college. It was because of that. That was why my hair was falling out. You know, and it just, you just feel like, why isn't there transparency around this? So that was really, I think, the hook for us, like the thing that really pulled us toward exploring this um, in a similar way to the business of being born, which we felt was the same thing. Like, you know, women were ostensibly, you know, not being given informed consent, kind of not really being given the full picture, the full menu of their birth options. And, you know, often after their birth experiences, like what happened to Ricky, only then do they like sort of dig in. So, so that's the story. One of the questions I actually had for you guys was what was your own experience? I was really fortunate because I got, I was just like a wacky kid in that I got, I was checking my cervix at 15 <laughs> and charting my cycle and, I just got exposed to that stuff really early. So I never took a hormonal birth control. But like you say, I mean, I've worked with thousands of women who have had less than positive experiences. And some will talk about positive experiences too. So it sounds like you both had your own history of the pill. Yeah. I mean, I I wasn't sexually active until I was li- older. Like I was almost 21. So, and I was someone that never struggled with like skin issues or as a, as a teenager, I mean, I had weight issues, but I, you know, I didn't need to go on the pill for, for vanity reasons or, you know, anything other than contraception. I did go on the pill when I was, you know, in a relationship or, or dating and I thought nothing of it. You know, I thought I, I didn't ask questions. It seemed so easy. It seemed almost like just fun. You know, like you got this pretty pack of pills and I could control, you know, and know exactly when I was going to, you know, bleed. And um, I just didn't question it. Not, you know, I struggled with hair loss. That was the main and, 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 lo- and, and some depression stuff, some mood stuff, but my period, you know, see, it just seemed easy to control. And I just didn't question the system until really it's really making this film 
you know, with the business of being born, I knew, you know, a lot of what we were filming and stuff. I, I had been educating myself after the birth of my first son. So it was like, it was Abby that was kind of in the dark and seeing the light through the making of that film. It's really through the pill, through this film that I learned so much about what it actually does to our bodies. And had I known then what I know now, of course, I would have looked at other options, you know, but I really didn't know I had any like easier options, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's through, yeah, I learned so much in the last five years. And what would you consider an easier option? Well, I mean, you know, it's hard, it's hard to say, cause I've had my children and I've had like the fam method for my, like my, I don't have daughters, I have sons. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like like learning about how our bodies work and and how empowering that can be for a wom- a young woman. I certainly would have loved to have known more about that at yeah. at a young age. And I did. I mean, I would switch pills. Like I would go to my gyno for my Pap smear every year, and they'd have a new stack, a new brand that was free. You, you didn't have to deal with going to the pharmacy. They'd give you this stack, and it just would be a new color or a new design. And I didn't question it, you know. And I was also on the Mirena. I did that. Um, I mean, I, 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 it just didn't seem like a big deal to switch. You know, and and the hair loss piece is really what was the most debilitating side effect. And of course, I never, and there's so many women that I've met uh, through this support group called the Women's Hair Loss Project. So many women contribute their hair loss to uh, the pill. The yeah, I have a patient right now who um, she had significant hair loss. She has PCOS, so polycystic ovary syndrome, and she was put on a progesterone birth control for her symptoms and her acne and period irregularity by her gyno and um she the progesterone the progesterone that she was taking or progestin um converts to testosterone so what's the difference when you say i'm sorry to interrupt you progesterone is the natural form and progestin is the synthetic so okay got it okay i was saying progesterone because i figured most people would relate to what that is but progestin is technically what's in the birth control pill if you take progestin yeah Got it. And so what does one do? Because in my case, you know, I went off the pill and that's when the shedding was really significant. Yeah. So is the answer to go back on, I mean, like, how do you rectify that? Yeah. For some women, they do. Um, this particular patient, she's, you know, we're in COVID right now. She's really struggling to kind of do a natural protocol for her polycystic ovary syndrome. A lot of um, one of her family members got really sick. And so she's like, I really want to be on the pill. And, you know, my, my, my role as a physician is, you know, I hardly have any patients on the pill, but if somebody wants it and they're educated about it, I'm not going to say, Oh, go to another doctor to get it. Right. So I put her on a form that has like the lowest form of progestin that usually doesn't convert, but with the warning to her, like if you start noticing any hair loss to come off of it. And can you, I'm sorry to, to, to stick no, no, on this. I'm so interested in, do you know why it actually happens that women lose their hair from it? Like what is? Yeah. So the, a certain type and high level of progesterone, the body actually uses that as a precursor for testosterone. And it's called female pattern. It's called um, female hormonal hair loss, but it's actually like a male pattern hair loss. And um, that's because of the testosterone, the hair follicles, um, and some converting enzymes that make the hair fall out. For some women, it causes that acne along the chin and cheeks, which is kind of along the beard line, if you think about Um, it. mm -hmm. Yeah. And depression, you know, you mentioned depression. And 
uh, it's really a lot of the side effects that women experience with the pill are under recognized even by physicians. And as I shared when I was when you guys interviewed me in New York, that in seven years of my medical training, of course, we learned how to prescribe the pill, but there were literally zero seconds, zero minutes where anyone walked us through the risks of the pill or the side effects of the pill, um, things to look out for. I think it was just assumed that, you know, it's safe. It's like Tylenol, which <laughs> which happens to be the biggest cause of liver disease as a medication too. So comparing it to Tylenol is apropos. We think it's so safe because it's common. Right. And you mentioned depression and a big study that came out a couple of years ago showed an enormous increase in depression, the need for antidepressant medications in women and young girls who had never had any history of depression once they started the pill. Mm. So it's substantial. Abby, how about you? What's your, what's your pill origin story? Do you have one? I do. I feel like mine hits like a lot of the same marks as many of the stories I hear, you know, which is that I was not put on the pill for birth control. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was put on the pill because I had sort of a late onset of my menstrual cycle. Like I was sort of a late starter. And then my freshman year in college, um, my period just stopped completely. Um, I just stopped cycling. And, you know, that was the recommendation mm -hmm. of my gynecologist at the time. Um, and I'm sure probably also thinking, you know, oh, and she's in college. And, you know, I wasn't even sexually active. Like I was like, Ricky, I don't think I had sex till I was like 19, you know? So it was like, and, um, you know, I think that I had many side effects on like the first pill that I tried. The worst part actually was the hormones that she gave me to before I actually got on the pill. Like I had to take something for 10 days to like bring on a period and then start. I, it was literally like, I just remember like riding my bicycle to class and I was like weeping. Like I was crying so hard that I couldn't even like stay on the bicycle. And I met, you know, it was just sort of shocking not to be warned that there could be emotional side effects to that degree. And I guess it was also shocking to me that after taking it for a couple months and feeling horrible and depressed that like, why didn't I just stop taking it? Like, why did I feel, I felt like I was doing something for my body that I needed to be on this, you know? And I remember finally getting in to see her, the doctor, like whenever it was four or five months later, and I was crying in her office because you know, I was so miserable. And she was even surprised. She was like, oh, oh, well, you know, there's many different types of pills or you should have called me or we could have tried something else. But, you know, I just think we go into this mode where it's like we are going to endure and we're going to be a good girl and, you know, maybe the side effects will go away. And so, you know, then eventually um, after that horrendous thing, I did go on a different, you know, whatever low estrogen or lower, you know, I went on a pill that was more tolerable and stayed on that pill for like 10 years. And the side effects on that pill were hard for me to even recognize until I came off of it. 
A lot um, of women say that. They're like, oh, right? I thought that was just normal. Or I thought exactly. that. Even women not on the pill, when they're experiencing a lot of hormonal symptoms, they're like, oh, I just thought right. it was normal for being a woman. Or Yeah. Yeah. That, that's right. And, you know, and at that point, it's like I did have a boyfriend, whatever. I still don't think that I really needed it for birth control. I think I definitely could have worked around it. I was like in a very monogamous relationship my whole 20s. I mean, we easily could have done anything else, but it was like, again, it was, it was sort of like locked in, right? And then your body is sort of on this, this flat line, this kind of like flat, you know, line. Um, but I remember one of the really bad side effects I had was like vaginal dryness, very severe vaginal dryness, where I would even get abrasions. Um, like, like an old woman, like now that I'm sorry, but now that I think about yeah. it, do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. a 22 year, 22 year old, like having sex and having abrasions as if, you know, you're 90 or something. I mean, it was, but again, like I was misdiagnosed. Even when I went to the gynecologist, they were like, Oh, this is herpes. I was like, no, this isn't herpes. Like I've been with only one person for 10 years, but they still didn't even know that that could be caused like so all these things I've, I've learned later on but um I do feel that I also had um which we talk about in the film the sort of sexual attraction issues the pheromone issues of being attracted to like more feminine men or you know men that you know are not you're not like I definitely definitely experienced mm -hmm. that like I definitely you know, was with somebody, went on the pill and then wasn't attracted to him and then was with somebody on the pill for a really long time. And as soon as I went off the pill, was completely not attracted to him anymore. Like that was very real for me. Do you want to talk more about that research? It's it's interesting. It's Some people say it's controversial, but you know, you were mentioning this idea of being a flat line. Um, so I can explain if you want to explain what you've learned, that would be great. I think a lot of mm -hmm. listeners aren't aware of the changes in, I think a lot of people, we've never as women been taught to observe the normal cyclic changes of what, what we're attracted to, drawn to, hungry for literally physically, but metaphorically that happen in a normal cycle and then how the pill blunts that. I mean, to me, it's the most fascinating thing I learned from the entire film. Was <laughs> it. Yeah. I'm so my head explodes when I think about it. Can you explain that 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 <laughs> what exactly you know is shut off in our brains when we're on these drugs? Do y'all want me to talk about it? Yeah. Well, yeah. You're the doctor. You you're can the talk expert. about it. We. We, we, we touch on it in the movie and, you know, we don't go like super deep into it, but we, you know, we do talk about, about the pheromone, you know, complex and, and what that does not it, mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like when you understand, I can only attest to, for me, you know, that it's, that it's real. I know the science is like somewhat controversial, right? Because it's sort of like, how do you actually test something like that you know what we but know is that um so we know right like we one of my friends used to say <clears throat> back in the day they had three kids and they followed natural birth control and they i'm gonna just sort of like 
use a, a letter so, since some moms might be watching with their kids, but she would say, yeah, natural fam like family, natural family planning works great, except you want to F when you're fertile. So it's like, that's the problem. But we all know that around our fertile time, if we're not on the pill, we tend to be hornier, we're maybe attracted to random people. And we also tend to be aware that before our periods, we tend to want to cave a little bit. We want to stay at home on the sofa and watch Netflix and eat chocolate, right? We know those things. But there's some interesting evolutionary biology whereby in the middle of our cycle, when we are ovulating, our biological imperative is to find a mate and mate with them. So studies looking at this find that as we're in that ovulatory phase, we're more likely to be, we're more likely to want to roam around and um, do things, uh, go to clubs, go to bars, hang out with friends. If we are heterosexual, we're more likely to be attracted to men who might not even be our partner. Often there's a drive to be more attracted to the bad boy looking type who is also particularly handsome as opposed to the good guy. This has been very polarized. There are lots of good guys who are great looking and there are, I'm sure lots of, you know, psychopathic, whatever the, the nice guy look is, you know, or the bad guy look is. Um, it's not across the board, but um, so there's this drive to reproduce at that time. And that's, it shows like we're more likely to be attracted to certain types. Then when we're closer to our period, we're actually more likely to lose attraction to people who are either similar to us or the good guy type, partly as a biological protection. Sorry, it's the good guy type at our periods, partly as a biological protection from family members being attracted to us living in a tribal setting. It's really fascinating. Yeah. There's some really good research coming out of, um, it's either UCSF or UCLA on this. And um, then there are all these other different phenomena that happen, like wanting to shop more at certain times of our cycle, changing what we want to eat at certain times of our cycle. So we go through these cyclic rhythms, right? But then when you go on the pill, depending on what pill you're taking, it can be estrogen, progesterone, progestin, or a combination, it blunts that cycle. So you're, as you know, you aptly put it, Abby, you're just sort of in this like flat line. Your hormones aren't going up and down, except for if you have a seven-day off cycle of your pill pack, and then your estrogen drops and you bleed. But it's a breakthrough bleed, not an actual period. So some of the research has found that, and this is where it gets a little controversial because I think people were publishing about it and then other people were freaking out like, oh my gosh, I'm about to get married or I just got married or I just, yeah. have, I want to have a baby and I'm afraid if I go off the pill, I'm going to hate my partner because uh, this researcher was basically saying, you're kind of going to feel the opposite about the partner that you're with if you got with them on the pill and go off it or if you got with them off the pill and you go on it, which you know, I tend to trust the lived experience. So Abby, if it happened for you, I think a lot of women would corroborate that. Mm. It's really interesting. And so part of the thought around what happens when women go on the pill is not just that that attraction mechanism gets twisted or, or flipped or shut off, but so do some of the other cyclic changes that we go through, like 
our desire to exercise, especially mid-cycle, or our creative impulses that may be more driven mid-cycle. So there's been a lot of critique around how the pill not only affects us physically, but psycho-emotionally. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Yeah. So one of the things that you mentioned earlier was that women felt angry because they hadn't been informed about the potential side effects. And do you think that if women were more informed and then had those side effects, they'd be like, okay, I'm having these side effects, but the trade-off of not getting pregnant or not having this or that symptom is worth it? Or do you think, no, they were like, I needed to be told this and I never would have taken that? I mean, I think it's about our own responsibility, taking responsibility and once, you know, if you have all the information and you can make an informed choice for yourself, mm-hmm. I think women would own up to like, okay, I'm choosing this. Like I understand the pros and the cons and, you know, and you give them room and you give them time with your care provider to understand and, and okay, this is what I'm losing. This is what I'm gaining. Okay. And to look out for these, these, these side effects, yeah. you know, it's like, had I known you know, this might happen to me. I would have, I would have probably knowing the, 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 how debilitating it's been for me over the years to deal with the trauma of seeing handfuls of hair come out, you know, like I probably wouldn't have yo-yo dieted like that. And I probably wouldn't have, you know, taken these, these drugs, you know? Yeah. I just, I absolutely think that women would be, maybe be less angry and, and less, you know, just upset with the system if they were able to make informed choices for themselves. Is there any way either of you would ever, after doing this film, would you ever like, I mean, barring an emergency reason, would you ever use the pill? Or if, you know, if your daughters, if you had daughters you who, or daughter-in-laws who were thinking about it or girlfriends of your sons, would you, would you be like, no, don't do it? Or would you be like, all right, learn a lot about it before you do it. You know what? The analogy that comes to my mind is like me being a doula. Like I'm a yeah. really bad doula because I'm so opinionated and I know so much. So it's kind of like, you you, you know, you don't want to put your belief system, you know, into, you know, you don't want to brainwash people. You want to like have them make an informed choice for themselves. So it's like, I I would like to think that I, you know, it's like, it's like voting. My, my, my son's girlfriend just like, told me, she, yeah, I'm not going to vote. She's like, ah, my vote doesn't count anyway in California. I'm like, are you effing kidding? You know, like, I, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, part of me wants to scream from the rafters and part of me feels like, okay, it's just, you know, these kinds of films are like, are like gateways to yeah. doing this information, getting the information for yourself, you know? And I have a big mouth. Yeah. It's hard as a doctor too. I mean, I, I'm pretty honest about my opinions. I don't, I don't, it's not my opinions. I'm like really honest about the science. And when somebody asks me what I would do about certain things, I won't answer because I'm like, you have to make that decision for Mm -hmm. yourself. And ultimately people do, but yeah, I feel like people come to me because they want to know what do I, well, what do I think? How can I unpack this for them? Mm -hmm. Because the information is so confusing and conflicting and they're like, well, can you help break this down for me? Like, what do you think? What would you do? 
And what about the fertility piece? Like once they go off these pills and they, or these drugs and they want to get pregnant and so many of them are having issues with getting pregnant afterwards. Do you, yeah, I mean- it's interesting. So like when you look at the statistical data in three months of having come off the pill, 80% of women will be back to their regular cycling. So the studies that I haven't seen, which I'd really like to see done are, I mean, cause we know like, most women who go on the pill aren't going on it for birth control. They're going on it for PCOS or they're told it's going to help their endometriosis pain or their acne or whatever, whatever. So of the women who come off of it, who then have trouble getting pregnant, are those the women who went on it for birth control or are those the women who went on it because they were already having Mm -hmm. a hormonal imbalance that the pill just suppressed for years? And that's my suspicion is that's really – um, what the issue is. It's, it's, these were women who were having symptoms of period problems or skip periods or whatever, whatever, at 15, at 20, at 25. They've been on it for, I, I have patients who come in and have been on it for two decades. Mm-hmm. Then they want to get pregnant and they come off it and they're back right where they were with that same yeah. problem. Or yeah. sometimes problems they didn't have before, like acne or you know, I've seen people who never had problems before, but they were on the pill for so long, they don't even know what their normal is. Wow. Yeah. So one of the questions I have like, along those lines, though, is um, there are some people, and think I think including a couple of people who um, were in the film, uh, who are very incredibly anti-pill. And who we've even built some platforms around being anti-pill. And there's been a lot of, um, I mean, there's so much polarization in everything right now, right? Like our whole media politics, I think, you know, studies have shown we're more polarized as a country now than ever. And social media and online platforms contribute to that. But there's sort of like the MD perspective, which is largely, oh, these we use these all the time, so they must be okay. And yeah, um, I think someone in your, in your, uh, one of the interview clips we have, um, said it's like someone saying, Oh, somebody's taken your furniture out of your house and put it all over your front lawn. What's the big deal? Just get used to it. And here's a pill for that. Right. Um, so it's used for everything and not the side effects aren't taken seriously. But then there are people who have said things like, if you've ever taken the pill, even if you come off it and have a kid 10 years later, your child could have birth defects or your child has an adult risk of cancer when that data is so small and so infinitesimal as not to even be really something that I consider credible. And so on the one hand, I'm hearing millennials, and I think the data shows, right? People are taking the pill less than ever. So on the one hand, you've got millennials who are saying like, I don't ever want to take this. And then you've got other people who are really feeling afraid about it. They do want to use it for birth control, but they're hearing these horror stories. I actually got contacted by a major media outlet to comment on someone who had posted this about um, your sons being more likely to have birth defects later, which has not been shown. Um, So like, what is your thought on that polarization and, how does the film address that in a in a way that kind of comes out balanced? Because what I was going to say is the opposite is, um, you know, like women feeling really ashamed 
or like women in the wellness space, you know, you've got your yoga teacher who comes to someone, they're a gynecologist and they really want to be on a pill because their acne is horrible and they teach yoga and they're really self-conscious about it or whatever, but they feel ashamed to admit it or they're terrified. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we have to be careful about creating stigma around any of these choices. And so I do feel like with the film, you know, look, if you, if you look at the business of being born, right, is that film biased? Yes, it's a documentary. <laughs> and it, it has a point of view, right? I mean, it's, it's balanced in the sense that, you know, there is an emergency C-section at the end of the movie that's necessary. And you get to see the medical model at play and the times that you need that model. But, you know, generally it's like, you know, we're not necessarily giving a very even handed, you know, kind of thing. And I think it's kind of the same thing. I, you know, I think with the business of birth control, it's like, you know, we are pushing against a mainstream narrative. So we are talking about the, you know, the pill's social significance on, you know, the kind of engagement of women in the workforce, the sort of leveling of the playing field economically and socially, and, and that piece of the pill um, is being very, very important. But I think that like what you see going on now is there are kind of like two groups, right? So you have this group that are maybe, let's call them more woke, you know, more aware, conscientious of toxins, of endocrine disruptors, of every single thing they put in their body, right? Millennials are, you know, very, there's like that kind of group. Um, then let's not forget, you know, you have a group of primarily you know, women of color who've have a tremendous suspicion and mistrust around the medical model and reproductive health in general, right? And even a deeper, darker history with birth control. So we kind of get into that in the film too, you know? So there's a whole nother kind of group of women that are wary of it, you know, for those reasons, then let's not forget you have a lot of religious people in this country um, and that crosses the color line. You have black communities and white communities that associate, you know, this with something kind of promiscuous, right? Like, Oh, it's just about kind of like unadulterated sex. There's just, you know, such a, a melting pot, I guess, you know, of, of so many different ways that this has become politicized for one and we you know we were very careful i think in the movie very very careful with who we vetted in terms of our experts um you know most of which fall on the line of hey if you're choosing you know to be on the pill here's some things you can do to mitigate some of the side effects and here's some things you should be aware of um, but, you know, I was on the pill myself in med school and I look back on those years and I'm happy I was on the pill. You know, there's like, that's kind of the the general. There are like some experts that are a little more outspoken and I, I kind of respect those doctors. And again, these are doctors, you know, we are very careful about who's in the film, but it's like, 
you have to kind of respect them because, you know, sometimes I think that there are people in society who are always a little bit ahead of the curve. And I think some of these people that seem maybe a little out there right now, or, oh, wow, how can you kind of say these really extreme things about what the pill does to your body or whatever, but I don't know. In 10 years, we might look back, right? I don't, I think there's no doubt. In 20 years. When I think about home birth back in the, like, I started studying midwifery in 1981, and people thought I was kind of off the deep end for thinking about a home birth. Um, we look at the history of antibiotic overuse and those of us who were saying, hey, there's a problem here. Well, we now know it's an international problem. And the controversy around, it's not a con- it's not a controversy around birth control. We know this history is very real. This history that you talk about, about um, the association of birth control with promiscuity. That was actually a campaign in our country mm-hmm. to associate birth control with promiscuity. There was actually a eugenics movement in the United States. In fact, Nazi Germans, Nazi Germany looked toward our eugenics uh, movement for information and insights. And we looked toward, I mean, there's phenomenal quotes. I actually have this book um, I've been reading called Pregnancy and Power by Ricky Solinger. I happen to have it right here. Um, just talking about this entire history of um, the the promotion of the birth control pill and also totally tied in with forced sterilization to limit what was considered the undesirable element in the country, which was everyone who wasn't white middle class or upper middle class. Which you know what's going on with, they they just discovered, it just came out yesterday about ICE ICE agents are sterilized, giving hysterectomies to women have you heard have you seen that that just came out there's been a long history i mean it was legal to do forced sterilization in the u.s until the early 1980s in california oh it's it's remarkable no i'm gonna look into that you know i think this issue you raise is really important about honestly saying that the film is biased but then also when i think about that and take that into perspective is it biased or is it actually the other half that's never told so that really it's the other information that's biased? You know, it's what doctors are telling their patients or not telling their patients that's biased. And by having an, a measured lean towards something that's not being talked about, you're actually allowing the conversation to become centered or mainstreamed for for the discussions to happen. It's like the Ava DuVernay's 13th. Is that biased? No, right. it's not biased. It's presenting a part a narrative that's not usually discussed. Right. It's questioning. I that. agree and I I totally agree and I think that's part of like with the business being born why we felt freer, you know, in a way to be a little you know, propagandist or what have you, because every other thing out there, you know, really reinforces the medical model. And I think it is sort of the same, the same thing. Like even recently I saw a documentary about the pill on BBC. Okay. And the gynecologist that they use as the key narrator of the piece is clearly clearly 
let's just say, on board with a pharmaceutical agenda, mm-hmm. clearly. Uh, you know, I'm not saying she's paid by them or whatever, but I believe that, you know, pharmaceutical companies are very smart and they have very media savvy physicians who are able to go out and push these products and these devices and these pills. And we all know that, you know, and that's a lot of times what ends up what you see a documentary you see on CNN, like, Let's be real. Ricky and I could never sell this movie to CNN Mm -hmm. because of their advertising dollars. You know, their their advertising clients are all pharmaceutical. You know, you will not see this film on cable. You will see this film on a streamer. And we, you know, raise the money from for this film independently for that reason. Mm -hmm. So it's like that's what you will see when you see Sarah Hill, Doctor Sarah Hill, who's in our movie on the Today Show presenting her book called This Is Your Brain on Birth Control, they make sure that there is somebody sitting next to Sarah, some Today Show doctor, right? Who always has to wrap it up to say, oh, but we can't, you know, we have to remember that although there are some side effects, these drugs are exceedingly safe. And, you know, always, always, always. So that is the message that you're always going to get. It's always going to be biased from the Today Show, from CNN, from you know any of these channels that masquerade as documentary, that's what you're gonna get, you know? And I think in our case, it's like, this is, you know, pure, pure, pure documentary. It's, there's really no agenda that we could have. You know, we are certainly not making a dime. And we are, you know, our agenda is literally just to inform, start these conversations and lift the veil a tiny bit, you know, on these, on this. Yeah. And that's why it's really clear. It's really clear for me because I, I, you know, I worry about the backlash a little bit. We were, you know, like, oh, we're going to be so attacked. I mean, we were certainly attacked when the business of being born came out, which we both, you know, were so surprised by. We didn't expect it. And then we realized we tapped into something. You know, it's like we, I am coming from a place of just real curiosity and, and, and we, we're, you know, it's, it's not about anything else other than every woman should have the right to the information and be empowered by that to make a choice that's best for them without judgment. So much, um, gets lost with lack of informed consent, which by definition should be what's good about this. Mm -hmm. What's the potential risk and side effect of this, and what are the alternatives? But unfortunately, most doctors and even most nurse practitioners and CNMs, certified nurse midwives, aren't educated enough. Most doctors are not educated about things like natural family planning or rhythm method, any of that. Um, they're just not, not natural fertility awareness. It has many names. Um, but that is not, you will get zero of that in medical school. I mean, for me, my knowledge of that comes from not even being a midwife, but just learning it for myself and then weaving it into my years of work. Um, so it's not, I think that it's not that doctors are trying to be biased. I mean, some are, some are clearly paid by pharmaceutical industry. They are inherently biased because that's all they're taught. That's all they know. Mm-hmm. And there's a heavy tendency well-documented in medicine to, one, downplay side effects 
and two, to dismiss women's reports of side effects. So a lot of women will go to the doctor with, oh, my hair is falling out. I feel depressed. Oh, well, that couldn't be because of this. It's probably because of that. So just keep going on it. So I think a lot of women don't even bother. Like you said, Abby, you know, you just kept trudging on. But and maybe your doctor would have been different. It sounds like she would have been. But a lot of doctors had you gone might have just said, oh, well, well, we'll just change the dose or no, it's something else or it's not this. Or are you sure that's even happening? And it's in your head. Right. Are you sure it's even happening? No, completely. And I think, you know, just like at, at the beginning of the podcast, Aviva, when you were reading the names of some of the victims, um, some of the girls who died from complications and side effects from hormonal birth control and some who survived, you know, very serious blood clots and pulmonary embolisms, you know, it's very, to me, it's so interesting to sort of compare that to where we are, let's say with the coronavirus, right? Because I remember when we started this film, I was like, so naive, you know, and we, we spoke and we met with all these parents of these young women who passed away so suddenly and so unexpectedly, and they were so healthy. And everybody was so shocked that this was attributed to the NuvaRing or the pill or whatever they happened to be on. And I remember talking to like some big wig, you know, women's health doctor in California, we'll name her name. And I just was so shocked. I remember saying to her, but like, I just don't understand. Like if one girl died, like how are these products still on them? Like just even if one girl died, like I couldn't understand. And I, and I got like such tremendous pushback from her. I mean, I got like the full kind of like, have you ever seen a woman die in pregnancy? Like it was literally like that kind of pushback. I was like, well, that's like unfair. You know, that's kind of an unfair comparison, but you know, I remember at the time thinking, my God, you know, this is never talked about. No one hears these women's stories. It, nobody wants to hear them. Everyone wants to think that birth control is 100% safe and solved. And then it's like, today, I remember my boyfriend was like so angry because he had been seeing some of the stuff that they're like posting on CNN and how it's just coronavirus 24-7. And he sent this article that was about one kid, one, one nine-year-old boy and his long haul with coronavirus. And it's like, okay, but like, think about that. Think about that. You know what I mean? It's just these other women, like the story of Erica Langhart, who's in our movie, they, Anderson Cooper actually did a report on the NuvaRing and featured their story and CNN put that thing off for like six months. They didn't air the report. When they finally aired the report, it was edited down to nothing, to like meaninglessness, absolute meaninglessness, you know? And always with the pharma company comment at the end saying, this is safer than pregnancy. It's just, again, it's like, goes back to what you were saying about this sort of misogyny, this kind of like sweeping on women under the rug. Oh yeah, we might have like 300 to six women, 600 women who die every year, but you know, we gotta, you know, I mean, what are we gonna do? This is what we got. Small price it's more dangerous. Yeah. Small price. And you know, so it's kind of like, I think you see 
the sort of like the injustice of it and how hard it is to, to talk about these stories. And, you know, but if we don't talk about them, if we don't honor these girls' lives, and I understand it's inconvenient that drugs have fatal side effects, right? I understand that. But if we don't talk about these stories, it's like then we are essentially, it's criminal. It's truly criminal because mm -hmm. you are setting up other young girls to right. die, yep. you know? And unfortunately, Ricky and I are in this club now because we know this group of parents mm -hmm. and we hear about it and it's still happening and we keep hearing about it. Yep. And every couple of weeks, there's another one and there's another one and there's another one. And it's this fine line of like, you don't want to scare women off of these drugs. You want them to have the information. So it's, yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, we know too much at this point and we need to, it's like, it's like doing a service. I feel like we are doing a service with this, with this film and all the films that we do. It's about, you know, education and choice. As I was digging up, talking about pushback, as I was digging around looking for some, you know, just some like, okay, well, what are some angles that we can talk about that are a little bit different? Um, I came across, I think it was time, maybe around 2016 when you guys were first working on the film, um, described you guys as anti-feminist and anti-woman. And where, what is your thought right now? We're like, I look at my mom's generation, right? My mom's 74, so she was in that kind of second wave feminist group. She took me to see Bella Abzug when I was a little girl. You know, it's just like that group of women who were straddling that line of trying to get into the workforce, of being the first group that could, you know, my mom was divorced in 1970, being that first group of women who could actually get the pill. I remember she, I remember her pills on the, the little round package on the, above the sink in the kitchen. This must've been how she remembered to take them. Um, and, and, and today's feminist, um, especially like millennial Gen Z, Gen X feminist is, is a very different um, feminist. I mean, I think they've grown up with a certain amount of privilege that was paved by our generation and especially the generation before us. Um, what is your thought on like, what is the feminist perspective on hormonal birth control now? And, and also how might you respond if you get pushback this time that the book, that the, that the documentary is anti-feminist or anti-woman? I mean, I remember that post. Do you remember that story that came out, Abby, when they called us anti-feminist? Wait, can't hear you. You're muted. You're sorry, muted. I'm muted. I'm muted. Sorry, sorry, sorry. What they you called you a. They called you a. Jezebel called you a birth control truther, and like, <laughs> Ricky Lake's trying to scare women off whore pills. I remember that yeah. one. Or something. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that was like the headline. <laughs> they're they're they they always call it anti. Of course, and it of course, and I think it's, you know. Again, it's it's really the same. I, I think it's sort of like it's very similar to I think what we faced in the birth world, right? Because if you start to 
I don't know, if you start to talk about natural birth in a way that somehow maligns like an epidural mm-hmm. or an elective cesarean, then you're somehow making a judgment over women. And then it's like those interventions are associated with a lot of empowerment, especially the epidural, you know, but it's sort of a similar thing. It's like this double-edged sword where it's just like, let's just look at, you know, what we see as empowering, right? So if feminism or reproductive justice is every woman's ability to have the right to choose for herself what feels good, right? Well, it's sort of the same thing with birth. It's like if you that choice for you is getting a packet of birth control pills, well, hello, you can do that in the mail now. I mean, that's just, they're going to mail them to your door. I mean, it's just, you know, okay. I mean, that's, you know, you can go to any doctor. They will be happy to set you up with a subscription for life. I mean, that's the, that's, you know, a very easy route. And there's a lot of support behind that route. And that can feel very empowering. But I think when you understand that, you know, there's other levels of empowerment, you know, that have, it doesn't negate, it doesn't negate anybody else's choice, you know, it doesn't negate anybody else's choice. But when you want to say, okay, hey, I'd like to be empowered in a different way by maybe not relying on a pharmaceutical company to manage my fertility. I'd actually like to learn how to manage my own fertility. And that, that feels like I'm in more control. You know, that feels more empowering to me. And I think that that's essentially, you know, has always been like the issue with, let's call it, you know, the feminist movement or, you know, feminist health movement is there's always been this issue about, you know, my choice or my decision somehow cancels out or shames your choice. And at this point, I think we just, you know, like, we just need to look at the science, to look at the information, to look at the data. There is now a lot more science to back up a lot of things that women have been complaining about since Mm -hmm. the 60s, (laughs) right? With the pill and hormonal birth control. There is a lot more science, right? It's not all in your head. No, now they can prove that. So it's like, I think it's like follow the science and like follow the studies and keep validating, you know, the women who are maybe not having good experience, which doesn't mean someone else can't have a good experience and can't make that, choice so it's like that's that those are the things to me it's like what is this model of scarcity that like what are we taking away from anyone by you know pointing out drawbacks or downsides with a method of birth control that has been around since the 60s and has barely innovated Mm -hmm. at all i would also argue that one's not truly empowered or actually making a choice if one doesn't have the full spectrum of information. Right. Exactly. Exactly. The judgment and the defensiveness, you know, I mean, and, and at the end of the day, we need more options. So the options that are available to us are, are such, and we should have more at this in this day and age. Yeah. There's been, and it's a place. 
there's been no innovation. And like you were saying about the information, Aviva, I think that's also really important because women generally go in, right, and listen to their gynecologists, listen to their OBGYN. They don't question. There is a lot, like something happens to women because they're not informed, because their bodies are this huge mystery to them, right? When somebody looks at you in the eye and says, oh, you know, you should go on this. This would be good for you. You know, it's unquestioned. And part of that is women just not having the authority over our own bodies. And I think that it disempowered, you know, there's a line in the film where, you know, I think it's Emily from Fifth Vital Sign. And she says, I think that learning about your cycle and just learning about your cervix and how your body works, it allows you to give consent Mm -hmm. in a totally different way. So look at all the issues we're having, you know, on college campuses and everywhere around consent. Well, this body literacy and sort of, you know, empowering way of understanding your body, this knowledge, it affects all of these areas, right? Consent, medical treatment, reproductive health because otherwise as a woman you just give up your power all the time yeah and we're so taught to trust the expert over our own lived experience over the encyclopedia that is each other's lived experience and we're exactly taught in medicine that the other view the other voice is just what would be the word hysterical or um conspiratorial nonsense so what would be your fondest hope for this film what would it do what would it change i mean i mean i we'd love this movement to grow you know it it is really exciting to see young women and how you know they are sort of questioning and more in the know about about other like non-hormonal options. I mean, basically it's like the model what happened with the business of being born, you know, and seeing the change. And it yeah. took many, many years to really, really like see a palpable change. But we know that that, that that movie did have a huge impact. I want the same for this one, you know, and I, and I, and I see it coming. I, I feel like the time is right, you know, I yeah. think... And we may not see it for 10 years. Like there may be, you know, like I remember like Carson Meyer, who's a doula in LA, like she saw the business being born when she was 16 years old. And she said she just laid on the floor and cried for three hours after the movie. And now she's like this, you know, prolific doula who's just like out there. And she's, you know, really just such an inspiration. Like who knows, there may be some, you know, amazing kind of like entrepreneurial, um, you know, woman who like sees this movie and in 10 years she develops, she, you know, finds investment for an actual innovative, you know, birth control technique that uses, you know, different science and, Men take you know, instead of women. Exactly. Exactly. You know, people ask right. me this all the time in interviews, is there a male birth control on the horizon? And I say, you know what? There were, like, <laughs> a couple of small studies have been done, have been 
completely aborted yeah. because right. men don't yeah. like the symptoms, which are typical like premenstrual symptoms for a woman who has PMS. Right, exactly. Of course. Yeah, I think it's their turn. Exactly. It's totally their turn. And maybe like some guy will see this movie. I mean, and know that, you know, his wife or his girlfriend has suffered and be motivated. Like, I think it's just all of these movies. It's kind of like uh, this movie is really about it's a wake up call. You know, it's not a simple like sign this petition and let's vote this person out of office movie. You know, it's 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 really a wake up call. and. I think that's the only way that you kind of like things aren't going to change from the top down, right? Like hospitals aren't going to change the way that they do birth, right? But women are, and women are going to ask for different things or take their business other places well, that have more options. Consumer demand, as you were talking, I was thinking about that. I mean, it really hasn't been a love of birthing women or a love of a more natural method that's led hospitals and medical practices to have certified nurse midwives in those practices. It was women saying, well, if you don't, I'm going to take my money elsewhere. So I do think that in on uh, mass, these changes, just getting yeah. a woman to think, huh, maybe I can learn about my cycle or maybe I can use a condom and natural fertility mm-hmm. awareness um, mm-hmm. instead of that. Or even you know, like, yeah. And even something, you know, like, Look at something, let's say, like the copper IUD, for example. Like 90% of women, honestly, even when they're having an IUD inserted, don't even understand that there's a choice. They're not even presented like, oh, you can get a marina or, you know, there's a Paragard if you want to try one without, like, they don't even understand that they even have, you know, an option because if you don't bring that up, if you are not the ad, yeah. It's the same thing, like for birth, right? And one, as you mentioned earlier, if physicians aren't giving informed consent, they're not informing women of, hey, if you have pain in your legs, or hey, if you start smoking, or hey, you take three airplane trips in a row, or hey, you're just having some shortness of breath, there could be a problem here. Or do you get an aura with those migraines? Maybe you shouldn't be on this estrogen-based pill. And these are just not things that we're told to inform women about. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Not at all. What is it that um, was, I think it's Brene Brown who talks, is it Churchill's quote, something that if you're not in the ring, basically don't come argue with me about it. I mean, women are the ones in the ring and getting the ring. Yeah. And I feel like ultimately we are the ones that should be making the choices and influencing the research and voting with our dollars. And I think at least knowing what we're getting into so that we can know what to look out for. Mm -hmm. And I think that those of us that are making noise are going to get pushback and, you know, you can either run and hide because of it or not do things like the business of being born. I will tell you guys, I so I became a midwife. I started practicing in 1986. I started studying in 1981. And then I went to Yale to do my MD. And Yale is a very conservative med, uh, obstetrics department. And um, there was a physician who still is there named Jessica Iluzzi, who her mom was a doula. Her, no, her mom had a home birth. Jessica, I think her mom may have been a doula or childbirth, childbirth educator too. 
Jessica became the head of the education department in OB. And she actually, I was on rotation when she showed it, so I didn't get to see it that time. But she actually showed the business of being born to the med students. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe it influenced half of 1%, who knows. Um, but Jessica went on to create a birthing center at Yale that has one of the lowest C-section rates, transfer rates mm-hmm. in the country, right next to a highly interventive medical center. And it's it's changing the consumer that can then change the demand, but that can then shift the way the medical model does treat women. Yeah. So I think that you're both very brave and really appreciate what you're doing. I think that um, sometimes, as I said, what looks like bias is really the other half of the story. And I think that um, it's really important to present those voices as you do. And I'm super excited for this film to come out. Tell listeners where they can get some glimpses of it as everyone's waiting for the whole thing to drop in 2021, which I know, I know for my own book with COVID, things are shifting on shifting sands and it's a big undertaking, a big endeavor. But what can, what can women do now? Or men, what can people do now? What can they do now? I think, yeah, the, the easiest thing, honestly, is really just go to our website and our social media. So our social media is just at the biz of um, with the Z T H E B I Z O F at the biz of. Yeah. And then, you know, you can go to, like the business of birth control.com and our kind of main website, which is the business of dot life. And you will see links for screenings. So like coming up in September, um, we have the Tia clinic is hosting like a 30 minute sneak preview. Um, Mama glow is hosting a 30 minute sneak preview. You know, so we have like these online events where you can get, a 30 minute sneak preview of the film and hear us talk a little bit more about it. Um, and you'll be in the loop. We're planning a summit day for the end of October that we're going to announce on world contraception day on September 26th. So we've got all sorts of stuff, you know, percolating. Um, and if you go to our website, you can see we've got a Patreon group that you can join where we're releasing video clips every week. Um, what else, Ricky? We got lots of stuff. That's good stuff. I mean, exciting. I mean, I just, I, I, I'm ready for this film to come out yesterday, you know, but um, it's happening. I know. It's really, really happening. So it's, it's great. Set a really beautiful example of a sisterhood collective creating together. And that's a powerful thing too. So (laughs) it's wonderful to chat with you today. Thank you for welcoming me into the business of birth control world and video and for joining me today. You're amazing. Thank you. So and I love following you. I love all your gardening. I love all of it. I'm so good. (laughs) Keep the content coming. I will. Well, we'll keep sharing your content too. Awesome. Thank you guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. 
And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.